Amen. Amen. That's where we wanted to start today. And if some of you think that uh, Bonnie Tyler don't belong in church, listen to me. Bonnie Tyler needs some church, okay? Probably needs some Jesus. And I hope that somebody gets that message out to her. I continue to uh, get all emotionally charged when this happens in our church. And, and I throw a song at the worship team. And it's not been on the two-week schedule because some people are really, um, I mean, they plan. I mean, some people um, plan and they're like, Hey, do you know what we're doing for Christmas? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing for lunch. How would I know what I'm doing for Christmas? And so when I come and I say, Hey, you know, I was driving in a car the other day talking to Jesus and I was thinking about this message I'm going to do. And suddenly I just, uh, in my head and in my heart, I was hearing Bonnie Tyler go turn around. And I thought that's what this sermon series is all about. It's about turn around. I said, can you do this? And she looked at me like, you know, it's not on the schedule. And it's like, okay, but I'm the boss. And uh, no, really, she's like, hey, we'll give it a shot. Are you sure you want to? It's like, yeah. Um, The other thing that it does is my brain has been in psalm songs mode. If you know what that means, psalm songs mode um, has been summer series at this church like forever. Um, and so, you know, um, me and some of the preaching staff have been wrestling with, hey, what song, what psalm are we going to connect? Which one are you doing? Which one am I doing? I'm looking forward to you hearing new voices from our church um, this coming summer and what that's going to be. So this was just a little taste of summer because summer's coming, but we need to wrap things up here. And so I want to do that. We're wrapping up this sermon series, um, Are You Going the Right Way? And the whole thing is based upon the idea that John was in prison. John had announced Jesus. John had John the Baptist um, had announced that there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet, and yet, when it came time for him to stand up against the wrong, and it was going to cost him his life, he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, ask him if he's the one or if we should be looking for somebody else. Now, if John the Baptist is willing to back up and take a look at his own life, don't you think that it's appropriate for you and I to do the exact same thing? Don't you think that we should be like the Garmin? I think that's probably old school. Like your your smartphone on your thing that says, hey, recalculating, you need to go a different way. I said turn right back there. Sometimes I think that's what my phone's doing to me, and I, I'm, listen, when I'm driving, I don't like to be bossed around. I like to be given some information, you know, but in my spiritual life, there are times when God has to say, look, I love you. You're doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, and it's taking you down the wrong road. And so that's what we're looking at. That's why we're wrestling with this. That's why this is going on in here, and that's why we're sharing it this way. I want to encourage you that every once in a while, just take inventory of your walk with the Lord. Don't just simply say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I gave my life to him when I was seven years old. You know, don't just do that. What I want to know is, are you walking with Jesus? Are you willing to look at what Jesus said, take it at face value, and change your belief system instead of creating hypothetical situations that are never going to happen to determine what your theology is and what it means for you to walk with God? Are you willing to do that? Well, I love that song because the idea is, This person's making a mistake. And I don't know about you, but seriously, that is one of those songs that I can sing to Jesus. 
I'm in the dark. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is. Um, I feel like I'm being eclipsed. I mean, I can walk down that whole thing theologically, and I could, I could almost say that that girl was raised in Sunday school. You know what I mean? But it's like, wow, so much of that is so apropos to our relationships to Jesus. And so I'm excited about that. We treat God too many times this way where it's like, this is what he says, this is what I'm asking of you, and we're like, no, that can't be what it is because that doesn't make sense to me personally, and therefore, I begin to start twisting the scriptures, and I bend it, and I make it fit what I want it, like it's, like it's you know, the, the, the Gumby thing from when I was a kid, or Stretch Armstrong, or one of those guys. You can't do that. It's plain. It's written. I was in a, at a conference a couple of weeks ago in Denver, and, and uh, one of the statements was, that was made about theology was that the simplest reading is usually the correct reading. It really is. Love your enemy. Yeah, but he doesn't mean that guy with that little chihuahua that poops in my yard. Excuse me, but yes, he does. He, he wants you to love the chihuahua. Really? Do you think that's true? Probably. You know what? You and that chihuahua would get along a lot better if you would just take it a little treat once in a while. You could do that. But I believe the plain reading, love your enemy, is the actual reading. Now, I, I, I pound that one like it's a nail and the only hammer I've got is to beat that nail. And this is why. Because for me personally, I think that that is the hardest teaching of Jesus ever. I really do. Because you can apply it on a national level and you can apply it on your local community level. You know, you can apply it on an economic level. You can apply it on a political level. You can uh, 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 apply it on a, uh, on a label level, conservative, liberal, or you can, I mean, you just, you can apply this everywhere. Love your enemy. It, it doesn't say be a doormat and don't stand up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. Just check your heart. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <clears throat> John, never mind, you, you, you probably know him, it's okay. I want to look at a scripture in the book of John in chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. I want to look there. Now, Pastor Jeff, I mean, he did uh, an outstanding job on this last week. He did such an outstanding job that while he was preaching, I was writing a message. It's like, it was infecting me. This, this message started to unfold. I was going to end some this series somewhere else, probably on another. I mean, just for the record today, because I'm preaching in the book of John today, this makes it the longest series we've ever done in 13 years in the vineyard. Is that not awesome? But hey, hey, guess what? There's still the summer to go. We got Psalm songs. And if that lasts till October, till my birthday, we're good, you know, because it's a lot of, no, I'm kidding. We won't last that long. But, but, but it is. And, you know, I love that Michael lets me know these things. Hey, let me just take you to the book of John chapter 21. That's where we're going to go, all right? Just the first four verses. I don't want to undo, I, and, and I can't do anything but support everything that was said from this stage last week. I can't. I mean, that's, that's all I can do is just say, he said it, you heard it, it was amazing, it was the word of God. So here it is. Holy Spirit, we just ask and pray that you come in here and crash our hearts and infect them, maybe even wreck them, and begin to change who we are into who you want us to be, because we're not there yet, God. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
The book of John, chapter 21, beginning of verse 1, says, um, t- um, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Je- Jeff shared with us, that's a Sea of Galilee. Okay, we-, we know this, you know, whether you use the Roman name or you use the Hebrew name, whether you use the Aramaic name, you just keep looking and you'll, you'll keep seeing. It's the same lake. Now, this is important because Jesus told Mary and them when they came to the grave, you go tell the boys to go back to Galilee and I'm going to come find them up there. And so that's what they were doing. They went back to Galilee. But they weren't doing what they were called to do. They just went back to Galilee, okay? They went to the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, shoot, we'll go with you. Come on. So they went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called them and he said, friends, haven't you have any fish? And I think I just went too far, but that's, that's all right. That's what I want to share with you. I want to just share that story. And, and the whole point of this is that Jesus told them to, to go to, to Galilee. He told them through Mary and Mary and, and uh, all, all the ladies. He said, you know, go back and tell the, the, the guys that I'll meet them in Galilee. So, Jesus is crucified, you know, their plans are dead, political situation is over, the Romans are still there, nothing's gotten better, James and John aren't sitting on his left and his right, he's not sitting in the palace in Jerusalem, Jesus, I mean, he's not sitting in the palace in Jerusalem, so all the things they dreamed about, gone, it's over. You ever been there? Man, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, I'm going to build this, we're going to make that happen, and then you get down the road and like, no, and then what do you do? Well, you can either be obedient or you can be partway obedient. And these guys were partway obedient. Because here's the deal. When you don't know what to do, you either move forward with the last thing God told you to do, right? What's the last thing he told you to do? Or you go back to what you were doing before you met him. And that's not a good thing. If I go back to what I was doing before I met Jesus, I'm going to be dead in a week in hell in a week or in jail in a week. That's what's going to happen. I was not a good kid, not raised in a Christian home, didn't know Jesus, knew there was a God, thought he hated me, and, and all I just lived for me, 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 me. It was just all about Joe Wood. Life was. Lived in a family, five kids, mom, dad. Um, it wasn't pretty, it was ugly, I won't get into it, but at the end of the day, you know, if we go back to what we knew, and here's the deal, we're always being tempted by the devil to slip back and not move forward. All they had to do was go back to Galilee, where they were from, and say, let me tell you what the last three and a half years were all about. They're like, where have you guys been? You know, we got a fishing industry we're trying to keep going, boy. You know, can't you just hear their dad? You left me hanging. Walked. There was a great big catch of fish, and you guys just walked away from it. What was that all about? See? And they've got a chance to say, listen, Jesus, Jesus. But they didn't. They're like, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go fishing. Well, we don't know what to do. And when you don't want, know what to do, you always do what your buddy does too. Huh? Hey, I've got an idea. It says so right in the book of Proverbs. Hey, let's go dig a hole and lay a trap and let's catch some people and rob them. That'll be great. Huh? Who makes up these plans? But going fishing, I can relate to that. Hey, what are you doing? I don't know. What are you going to do today? Don't have big plans. You want to go fishing? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know what? It sure beats sitting around looking at what life could have been. It sure beats crying over spilt milk. It sure beats going, oh, Lord, I can't believe you died and went to heaven. I can't believe you did these things to us. can't believe you led us for three and a half years. Now what? Because that's our plan, right? God, you didn't answer my prayer, so huh, 
not sure I can follow you. God, you didn't answer my prayer, so I'm not sure I can believe in you. God, you didn't do what I said, so I'm not sure you're even there. Man, we've got all these things that God is supposed to do that we're God, not him. He's the servant, and we got our roles reversed, and that's what's going on inside of this story. And I want to be, a caref- uh, uh, be careful how we deal with this, but I want to take a good hard look at it. It started, this sermon started because my heart was moved. And especially as I continue to watch memes being made with scripture, um, and then I see the, the conversations taken clear out of context. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And my wife has just won $10. But I was at a concert last night and I, I heard the same thing. I heard somebody standing up there going, well, you know what? And then, you know, cuss, swear, whatever. And it's like, but I love Jesus. And it's like, well, you need some Jesus. You know, it's like, I, I want to see Jesus continue to change your heart. Um, because it's all about the transformation and the journey. It's not about the ticket out of hell. It's about the relationship with Jesus. Now, I didn't tell him that, you know. Not that I wasn't close enough to tie his shoes for him because his shoes, I have the picture. His shoes were right there, okay? And it was like, whoa, you know, there's close and then there's close, all right? But, it, you know, we've got this idea that whatever comes out of our mouth and whatever we, we open the scripture and we say, well, I can't believe that. But if we do this, then I can believe that. Therefore, that's what God said. Because what God said is going to change our circumstance. What we transform it in means that we get to continue our direction. And that's not what God wants. It is possible to be sincere and yet be sincerely wrong at the same time. Let that sink in. Let it marinate for a little bit. It is entirely possible, like the Apostle Paul who was Saul at one point, to be absolutely sincere in love with God, trying to do the right thing, protect the church, grow the church, make everybody obey the teachings of God, and yet he was sincerely wrong because he would not recognize that Jesus Christ had come. He refused to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, until he was blinded on the road and got to talk to him personally. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, said, there's the Lamb of God. A couple of weeks later, a couple of years later, he's saying, hey, are you the one? Look at this. Um, in the book of Matthew, it says right here, Matthew 11, it says, when John, was, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect somebody else? Listen, I, I share that with you, and I'm, I, I put it up there so that you can see it, because I need you to know I'm not making this up. This is the truth. This is what's going on in John's life. And if John the Baptist, family to the Lord, front runner to the Son of God, bard, ballad, and writer to the King of the universe, creator of all things, believed that he could get it wrong, there's a place in your life where it's important for you to back up and say, am I getting this right, Lord? It really is important. Because we can get all the facts and figures right and still not get the walk right. We can get the walk right and still not understand the facts and figures but we've got to get them together. And it's not, like, it's, not like, okay, it's not like we're trying to follow God like that. The narrow way is a narrow way. That means there's room inside of it for us to, to, to operate, to maneuver, to do the things. And so I just want to encourage us in that. We recognize that the narrow way is the narrow way. But listen to me. We are growing in our relationship to Christ. And if we are growing, it's kind of like a, anybody in here got like a 12, 13-year-old boy? I mean, seriously, you know. It's like, man, when they hit 
uh, middle school is like, you might as well just call Levi's and say, listen, every week send me a different pair, okay? Because I'm telling you, you know, I got boys that went from like size 8 shoes to like size 15. It's like, you almost can't get size 15. You got to special order them. And it's like, boy, if you can't dribble a basketball and you're wearing size 15 shoes, I, you just need to move out because you're not contributing to the family here, okay? No, it's not that bad. Not, not, not really at all. I'm just saying that, man, it's a, a child at the age of 12, 13, 14 years old is constantly in change. I mean, how many parents have said, man, I bought my kid three different pair of shoes this summer alone? And it's like, yeah, well, listen, why don't you think that's appropriate in your relationship to God? <laughs> You're just a baby Christian. Oh, Pastor Joe, I've been a Christian for 35 years. Well, in the scope of eternity, you're like one day old, okay? <laughs> Seriously, back up and look at it and say, am I getting this right? And don't go, yeah, I got one scripture back here, and the, it says right there, whatever I ask the Lord, he's going to give me, I'm getting that right. Don't ignore the one where James says you ask amiss and you don't have it because you ask that you can consume it upon yourself. Mm. Brother of Jesus said that. Seriously, maybe that's why I'm not getting what I want because God's not doing what I said because he's God and I'm not. See what's going on here? So we look at this way. So let me just share a couple of things with you. God made it simple. I, I, you say, Is that not the stupidest thing that you've ever shown up for me to say? Like, you didn't know it when you walked in the door. So in my making it simple, I want you to know that God made it simple. So let's just don't make it wickedly theological. Because the scripture was never, ever meant to be wickedly theological. You were never meant to need a degree to read this book and understand what God wanted you to do. You were only supposed to be able to read it and do it and stop changing it to fit your circumstance. Don't do that. Don't do that. We don't have permission to do that. We complicate it by making it burdensome for people or by twisting it, and yet Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. Does your soul need rest? Does your soul need rest? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did he say? Anyone can come. Anyone can learn. I give you rest. It's easy and light. It's easy and light. Don't make it more complicated than it is. It's easy and light. What do you think he meant when he said that? Okay, let's, let's unpack that. Okay. <laughs> exactly what he said. No, really, make it theological. Share the Greek with us, Pastor Joe. No, don't have to do that. Okay, easy and light. That's what he said. That's what he meant. Hey, not free and keep on sinning. Easy and light. Huge difference. Some of you here, out there, some of you are like, yeah, like I saw at the concert last night. Oh, God loves good old boy that gets hammered one night. He's still like, God says, don't get drunk. Don't do it. We'll talk about drinking in a couple of weeks, but he says, don't get drunk. So don't stand on a stage, sing songs to me about how God loves you because, you know, you just got hammered. God says, knock that part off, okay? In your growth, you are supposed to stop and change and be transformed even by the renewing of your mind. That means to change your belief system and the things that you believe about what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. Don't change what the Bible says about what the Bible says. 
change your relationship to it because you're bending the scripture to fit your circumstance instead of changing the circumstance to fit the call on your life. <clears throat> all right, <clears throat> I'm studying the word and I have to give you that one answer. That's all I got. In the council in Jerusalem, the disciples said that when we preach the gospel to Gentiles, we're supposed to make it easy, just like Jesus said. In Acts 15, it says, this is my judgment. This is James, the brother of Jesus, standing up, taking charge, being the boss. I'm going to be in charge. Kind of like my oldest son. I hope he's not watching this. But my oldest son, when he used to live at home and I would not be home, you know, you could just see him. He's like, I'm in charge. Dad's not here. And mom would have to say, I'm in charge. Dad's not here. And then he would be like, oh, I don't know what to do about that, you know, because she can probably whoop me. Um, but at the same time, it's like he wanted to be big and he wanted to be the boss. And that was our problem in his high school days. We just kept knocking heads about who was the boss. Okay. And I told him he could be the boss anytime he wanted to make the mortgage payment. That fairly well summed it up for me. <laughs> um, and he left the house and I took a deep breath. And I'm telling you right now, my relationship to that kid is so, <laughs> so amazing. And I say kid because he's like 30 million years old now. But, um, you know, I mean, I, and I said 30 million because I can't do the math that fast. So how old is he, Jesse? Two years younger than you. Yep, that's my daughter. That's not Janice's daughter. This one's mine. We're the artists in the family. Uh, yeah, so two years younger than Jesse. But that's it, you know. And he's a grown-up man, and he's amazing in his relationship with Jesus, and he's a better father than I ever hoped to be. But I love what James, the brother of Jesus, Jesus is gone. James stands up and says, all right, I'm in charge. You know, that's what it looks like in Acts 15. It is my judgment, that's James, after they've had this big talk, Therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Remember, Jews have to follow 613 commandments. All right? We shouldn't make it difficult for them who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and don't eat basically the meat with the blood in, in it. Don't do that. That's nasty. Okay? Because it was a dietary health thing. You know, especially back in the day. I'm, not, I'm saying, well, it's different now. Go ahead and suck the blood out of that cow. Don't, don't do that. That's gross, okay? Cook the meat. I get the whole rare thing for you, but if you can lay hands on it and heal it, don't eat it, okay? Don't, don't, no, don't do that, you know? First couple of times I went out to dinner with my father-in-law back when he was on the planet, he would look at my food, and he raised Angus cattle, and he would say, Joseph, because that's what he called me, Joseph, if I reach over and lay hands on that thing and pray, it's going to come back to life. Why don't you have them cook it? <laughs> it's like, I thought this is how you did if you were fancy like that. Oh, sorry, that was last night. My bad. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so anyway, let's, let, let's move along. Number two, um, believing Jesus should change my whole life. Okay, believing Jesus, maybe I should have put a comma in there. Believing Jesus should change my whole life. Can you say that believing Jesus has changed your whole life? I'm not saying it's changed the trajectory of your life, okay, because it certainly should do that. But what I'm saying is there comes a time when you as a moral person can look back and go, wow, I used to believe that there. I used to be like, you know, when I got saved in the Mennonite church, I was like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what God meant, okay? Yeah, we love Jesus. Women cook food. Men eat it. I believe that. We sleep in the bed, women make the bed. We go to work, women raise the children. 
Okay, I had a pretty patriarchal view, and that's what I was saved into, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. But there came a time that I began to wonder, and, and if any of you like, are in any doubt of this at all, I began to wonder about my wife because I really do think she's probably just a little tiny bit smarter than me. Okay, and I'm not just talking about she's got like more education. i got to call her Dr. Honey when I'm at home and not in front of you people. But I'm just saying that there's a place where, you know, it's like Jesus lives inside of this woman. How can I say that because Jesus is in that physical body that's very enticing to me that I'm going to say, well, you know, she better sit down and be quiet and I'll tell her what Jesus is saying. She knows what Jesus is saying. Okay, sometimes she gets up and says, let me tell you what Jesus is saying, and I don't want to hear it. Okay, that's when you'd like to back up, you know, doo, doo, doo. let's go back Mennonite, okay, because I'll tell you what Jesus is saying. And she's got a, she knows what the Holy Spirit's doing. So there are times in our lives when it's important for us to back up and be willing to take a look at the things that we believe and say, are they biblical? And listen, I can sit down with that particular issue with you anytime you want to in my office, and I'm not going to cherry pick scriptures. I'm not going to do that. So when you come to my office, please bring your whole Bible. Not just Paul's letter to Timothy. Bring his letter to the church in Corinth too. Bring Joel's prophecy from God. Bring um, Moses' writing from uh, Genesis chapter 3. See, you don't just get to pick one verse. And you got to begin to ask yourself what's going on. Believing Jesus should change my whole life. But believing means doing, not knowing. We do because we know. But all, if all we do is know, then we're worse off than the whole rest of the world. James will tell you that in the whole book of James. Okay, Same James, brother of Jesus, not brother of John. Brother of Jesus wrote the book of James, and he will tell you it's not about knowing. It's about knowing and therefore doing. And that's why John is writing to you and I the book of John. And that's why it is important for us to turn around. In the book of Mark, Jesus says, the most important one commandment is, hear this, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this little boy came into church this morning. He was so excited. He didn't come in like you. He didn't come in, walk in, hey, how you doing, Pastor Joe? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, greeter. Yeah, we're good. He came in like this. This is how he came in. Do you ever want to come into church like that? I do. I know it makes me weird. I kind of don't care, okay, because I'm where David was. I'll get more ridiculous if, if it means glory to God. We'll get more crazy if it means glory to God. This kid is so excited to come to church, see his friends, go to church, be with his mom, dad, do all the things, and it's amazing. He loves God with his physical being as much as his mental, emotional, and soul being, and he wants to express it. In the book of 1 John, John says this, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. You want to know if you love God? You want to know if you're walking with God? You want to know if you're a Christian? You want to know what that means in your relationship with God? Okay? In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. 
Oh, man, I really wanted to go party, get drunk, snort a little powder with the guys and hang out, have some sex all night, and, you know, yeah. It says no in the Bible, don't do that. I know, but, you know, hey, I'm a good old boy, and God says it's good, and no. Okay? That's how you know a good tree from a bad tree, Jesus said. The fruit. And I'm not saying we need to go around throwing fruit at people. What I am saying is, look at the fruit at the bottom of your tree. Look at the fruit around your feet. And tell me what it is. And then begin to think about that. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. So love God completely, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and obey. Do the doing. This applies to our whole culture. It applies to our sins, our sexuality, our money, our wants, our desires, our attitudes, our beliefs, our anger, our relationships, and our love for the enemy. I'm not going to read that whole second um, King scripture, but let me just say this. Number three is, just do it. Whatever it is God told you to do, just do it. In the book of Second Kings, I'll just tell the story real quick. There's a king, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a general in there, and, and uh, his name is Naaman. He was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram. Anyway, and um, he had leprosy. And they had conquered Israel. He had a little girl working in his house as a slave. And I'm not saying that, you know, slavery is good at all. I'm just saying it was comfortable enough that she went to him and said, listen, there's a prophet in, in, in Judea, and you should go see him. And so the long and the short of it is, Naaman shows up at this prophet's house. Actually, he doesn't, because Elisha, well, he does, but Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. It's Elisha. I always get Elisha and Elijah mixed up, but it's Elisha. He shows up at the house, and he's like, okay, send in the gold, send in the clothes, send in the silver, send in all the stuff. Now come out and heal me! And the prophet sends his servant out and says, go tell him to go down to the Jordan and wash seven times. Isn't that the way we approach Scripture sometimes? It's simple. Go wash. Ah, and there's Naaman. This is what Naaman does, okay? And I, I've seen the video of Naaman doing this, okay? So trust me on this, okay? It was only like four or 5,000 years ago, but this was what the video looked like. Oh, are you kidding me? I came all this way, and you want me to go wash in that dirty river? Are not the rivers over here far par in this other one? Aren't they cleaner water? Oh, are you kidding me? Drag that guy out. We're going to spear him through. That was my version. But that's what he did. Are you kidding me? Washing the dirty Jordan River. You, you want me. Listen, do you want to be healed or not? Naaman's like, man, I would have gone and slayed the dragon. I would have like yanked his teeth out of his mouth, left him alive, and brought him back to you, Elisha. If you just would have told me to do something incredibly great, I would have stormed the mountain. I would have conquered kings. Give me something real. We even wash in the dirty river. You see how we do that? Naaman did it. We make it so complicated. Wow, why? Why? Why does following God have to be so complicated that I have to twist the scriptures in a big knot to make it fit my life when all Jesus said was, dude, surrender your life to me. Come and follow me. That's what that means. Come and follow means surrender your life to me. Okay? No sex before marriage. Don't be greedy. Live generous serve your community, tithe, 
love your enemy. I'm, I'm just trying to go down through these things. Dance when the praise worship music is playing. Nobody will look in here. Do you know that's why the lights are mostly low in here when we do worship? It's in case you don't have any rhythm, and I don't want you to be embarrassed if you're like, like dancing offbeat. And it's like people will come to me and say, you know those new people? They can't dance. Can we let them stay here? It's like, yeah, because I can't either. So that's all right. No, I'm kidding, okay? But, but that's what we need to do. Just go and do it. And isn't it crazy that it's Naaman's sermon, or, um, servants that said to Naaman, listen, he, if he had asked you to do something amazing, you'd have done it. You, really, you would have done it, wouldn't you, Naaman? Well, yes, I would have. They said, then go wash in the water. Just, and by wash, it, dip in the water, come back out, walk up on the bank. Walk back in, dip in the water, come back. I don't mean it. Get the soap, get the lye, get the... No, no, just go dip in the water. Go wash in the water seven times. And he was healed. And he couldn't believe it. Isn't that what we want from God, the I can't believe it? It's a miracle. I need to tell you what he did in my life. What's, isn't that where we are? Just do it. So what does John want us to believe? I'm going to do this real quick and wrap this up. John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. It says in John 20, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. John wants us to believe so that we will have life. So he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, but he also wants us to believe because he wants us to have something. He wants us to have life, and he wants us to have a parisos life. Now, please, I, I share this with you again and again and again, and I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. I'm really not, but I'm going to ask God for everything I want. And if he says no, I'm going to deal with it, okay? I'm going to grow up and suck it up, buttercup, and, you know, do the next thing. But, but here's the deal. Don't take my word for it. If that's for me, tell him I'm really busy right now. I'm preaching. Um, but that being said, look up the word parisos. Just Google it. Not right now. Okay, goodness, I'm going to lose you. Look up the word parisos, and just remember, that's the word used in John 10.10. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's Jesus talking. And ask yourself, does that describe the life that you're living? Because John wants us to have life. He does. And then here's the last thing. John wants us to tell other people. John wants us to tell other people. And by tell other people, John wants us to invite other people to church. John wants us to reach out to lost sinners that don't know Jesus. And just maybe share two or three minutes. You don't have to share a 30-minute sermon. Whatever you're going through right now, God just wants you to stop and say, hey, you know, this is how God is connected to me in this particular situation. And if it's a great situation and you've got a new job and they just doubled your salary and you're like, what is going on? It's the favor of God. Don't forget to side. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but um, I, I'm just saying, share that with people. Share it. Share it. But listen. If it feels like it's raining down fire on your head, remember that there's an enemy out there trying to kill you, but God is still protecting you. And don't forget to share that you're walking through a valley, but God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It might feel like it is at times, but in a real cliche sort of a way, somebody reminded us that it's usually at those times that he's carrying us. And if you want to find him, look down and see who's holding you up in those moments. Another way to do it is like Moses and Ezra. 
You think you went through a lot of crap in this world? Do me a favor and look back and tell me how you got in this room today. And I'll tell you it's because God saw you through that garbage and brought you to this spot so you could hear this message where God is saying to you, just do it. Don't reinterpret it. Read it and do it. And give him a chance to change your life. Does your relationship to Jesus make you change your relationship to other people? Does your relationship to Jesus make you change your relationship to your computer? Does your relationship to Jesus make you change your relationship to the world, to your money, to your willingness to serve, to your drinking, to partying? Does your relationship to Jesus change your relationship to your language? Does it change your relationship to your calling in life? Do you hear the Lord speaking to you and you don't know what to do with it? Does it change your relationship to your emotions and your attitude? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is first and foremost a change agent. It's all about that change. It's not a ticket in or out of hell. It's not a ticket to or not to heaven. It's the beginning of a relationship with somebody that wants to hold your hand every single day. God loves you, and God wants you to come home. The question is, before you say, I know that, are you going the right way? Are you going because Jesus said do it even when it doesn't make sense? What does the Bible say about what the Bible says? And how are you changing your life to fit that? Listen, don't beat yourself up because God's not doing that. That's the enemy. We realize these things and we say, Whoa, Lord, I've been getting that one wrong. Please forgive me. Let me change my whatever it might be. Let me surrender, let me give, let me love, let me go, let me serve. You plug the words in because I know God's asking something of you. Now, here, here you go. I'm going to wrap this thing up right now. These people are up here to pray for you. Okay, that's what they do. And they're good at it. Okay, they're not magic. They're just in a tight relationship with God, and I love that. Here's the deal. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's time. It's time. Today, today it's time. It's time. It's time to stop going to church. It's time to surrender your life to Jesus. So if it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus, come here. Just come up here. Okay? Somebody in this room need to surrender their life to Jesus. These are the things the Holy Spirit told me to ask. They're not even on my notes. The, the Lord said it's time for you to surrender your life. Come here. Don't be scared. Your heart's beating 100 million miles an hour. It's you. It's you that the Lord's waiting on. I'm, I'm, we're not going to stay here till like, lunch. But, you know, I'm just going to give you a moment. It's time. Is it this service that somebody needs to surrender their life to Jesus in? You ready? It's the beginning of an awesome thing. We, we've all taken that step. It's, it's great. It's awesome. Okay? 
Yeah? Feeling pretty comfortable? You're headed the right way? Not that you're perfect, but you're headed the right way. You're willing to change your lifestyle because Jesus said so. You're, you're willing to change your belief system because Jesus said so, not because you can figure it out. That's what surrendering is all about. Okay? Here's the deal. This is the other thing that I really believe the Holy Spirit is saying, and that's, again, what these people can pray for. Some of you know that God's asking you to do something, and it seems too simple, seems too easy, but we, we got anxiety over it, and so you know, we make it bigger than it is. But God's asking you specifically to do something, and you know it's a person, it's your job, it's your finances, it's your relationships. You know God is saying something to you. You know that. Okay, you need to come up here so we can pray for you. So get up out of your chair and come here. I will wait for lunch on this one, okay? Because I can say unequivocally that is exactly what's going on in this room. You're facing something and it's scaring you to death. But it's clear you just need to do it. Can we pray for you? It takes a little bit of courage. Just jump up and come up here. I'm not going to put you in a microphone, not going to do all that stuff. But I know for a fact that there is. I don't know who. I don't want you to go home and say, oh, that was me. Okay, don't send me an email saying, oh, that was me. Okay, come up here. There you go. She's not less spiritual than anybody in this room. Do you understand that? She's not more spiritual than anybody in this room. She just recognizes that the Holy Spirit is speaking to her heart and wants to bring some healing to that. And it, frankly, it might be scaring her. I don't know. Pray for her. Anybody else? This is why we come to church. This is why we gather together so that we can pray for one another. We can confess our sins to one another. We can love on one another. We can believe that the, the person of Jesus Christ wants to get in there and get all businessy with us in our hearts and, and, and make it better. That's how it works. That's how it works. I have two more people. Love to pray for you. Okay, go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm not going to drag this out and rope you and drag you up here, okay? <clears throat> I'm going to do this. We're going to go into this song. If you're new to the vineyard, this is what we do. We pray, we sing, and sometimes we sing and pray at the same time, and that's okay. So we're going to sing a song, and if you're feeling like, oh, he really was talking to me, then you can come up here while we're singing the song. It really is okay. You can come up here while we're singing the song because we want God to touch your life, okay? And these people will pray for you, and if these you know, people, those people get done being prayed for, then you can stop wherever you want along the line. More people will pray. But let's just pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for this evening or this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in these hearts right here. We thank you that you want to let your consuming fire get inside of them and just burn up all the darkness that might be like threatening, convicting, condemning, just doing all the things to them that it does. The enemy just accuses us day and night, God. And we've come to you for healing. And so we invite you to just wash over us, Holy Spirit. Wrap us up like a comforter. Call us your own. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the encouragement, God. We bless you in Jesus' name. But how do we bless God who blesses us? 
So let your favor continue to rain down upon our lives. And God, hear us say this morning as we sing, as we lift up our hearts and our, our, our hands and as we jump around like Ollie, just hear us say we love you and we love being here with you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this so very much, Lord. Amen.